stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. You know, I get that there's a, a fascination that exists when it comes to serial killers, when it comes to gangsters. Uh, there are books about these people, movies about these people. But I think we need to draw a pretty clear line when it comes to these individuals profiting off of their notoriety, profiting off these crimes. This idea of blood money. I mean, it's one thing to write a book, for example, about Whitey Bulger and the notorious uh, Boston gangster. Or to make a movie about him, which they did. It was a pretty good movie. But the story this week, this to me seems creepy. Uh, James Whitey Bulger, his prison ID card was auctioned off late Friday. An anonymous private collector paid $11,197 for this guy's ID card. Why? Why would someone be that fascinated with an imprisoned murderer that they would shell out over $11,000 just to say, look, this is Whitey Bulger's prison ID card. But who did that money go to? Who made $11,000 off the sale of this? It was a Whitey Bulger himself. The guy's going to die in prison. But is this money going in his pocket? Look, we've seen it before. We saw it in Canada. Who remembers the story almost three years ago when Paul Bernardo... Paul Bernardo, one of Canada's most infamous serial killers, published an ebook that was for sale briefly on Amazon. Robert Picton, a couple of years ago, wrote a book that was for sale on Amazon. Now, I think of both disease, uh, these instances, people realize, well, what the hell is going on here? And the, the books were pulled down pretty quickly. But it's happened before, whether it's a painting by a killer or something that was worn by a killer. Or even a piece of their hair or fingernail clippings. This, it's creepy as hell, but there's a market for it. And this James Whitey Bulger auction is just the latest example. Well, someone who has spent many years fighting back against this, even coined the phrase that's widely used now, murderabilia, joins us on the line. Andy Kahn is a victim's advocate in the mayor's office with the Houston Police Department as well. And he joins us on the line here this afternoon. Andy, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. You bet. Glad to be here. Well, how does a, an auction like this even happen, first of all? Well, first of all, I've been monitoring uh, murderabilia websites and auction sites that have been selling items that are obtained from serial killers, mass murderers, high-profile killers for close to 20 years. Quite frankly, this is the first time I have ever seen what most would describe as a mainstream auction house selling an item from a notorious serial killer, particularly by the name of Whitey Bulger. There's about seven sites nationally and also one in your country that's run out of Montreal, uh, Quebec, that specialize in obtaining items from high-profile killers, serial killers, mass murders, school shooters, personalized items like letters, autographs, hair samples, clothing, even mundane items like fingernail clippings that are then posted for sale. It's unreal. So what do we know about... The strangest project I've ever encountered in my 30-plus years of being involved in law enforcement and the criminal justice system. In this instance, Andy, what do we know about the seller or even, for that matter, the buyer? We don't know anything about it. That's, that's what makes this highly unusual. And for 
an item like this that was actually sold for more than $10,000 is extremely unusual. Most of the murderabilia items, with the exception of artwork, can go for, you know, what some might call chump change, hundreds of dollars. Artwork generally can go in the thousands. This is one of the most high-ticket high items I've ever seen in 20 years of monitoring this type of industry. I mean, is there any chance that any of this is going back to, to Whitey himself? There's always a chance. And the research that I've done throughout the years, it's usually about a 50-50. Half of the killers are aware that their items are being sold. They actually work out contractual agreements with the sellers, better known as third parties, or what I call murderability dealers. And then, quite frankly, the other half is clueless. So in this particular item, I think it's incumbent among prison officials to find out, of course, how it got from point A from point B. How did someone obtain this item? Did Boulder willingly and knowingly send it out, knowing it was going to be put on the open market for for sale? Did someone just come in there and ask for it? Was it mailed out? So there's a lot of ways you know, that prison officials need to investigate how this item even got to the outside world to begin with. And no kidding. Well, I mean, it's it's obviously would be pretty sickening if uh, a killer, someone's able to profit off their notoriety, off their crimes. But it's 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 still creepy, it's isn't it? Legal. If it's if it's a third party, it's it's totally legal. We've crafted what we call notoriety for profit laws in about eight states, yeah. dealing with the issue of not being able, of course, to profit from what I call no one should be able to rob, rape, and murder, and then turn around and make a buck off of it. Frankly, the issue and the biggest problem, of course, is dealing with interstate commerce, items that are shipped out via U.S. mail across state lines. We've had a federal legislation proposed several times called the Federal Anti-Murderabilia Crime Victim Dignity Act to deal with the issue, dealing with the fact that items are sold past state lines. We've yet to have a hearing on this for whatever reasons that are beyond my comprehension. But is it still troubling if it's somebody else, if it's a third party, in this case, if it's some prison guard who got a hold of this idea, if, if he's pocketing this $11,000, is that still problematic? It's blood money, plain and simple. Yeah. You know, from a victim's perspective, and I serve on the board of parents of murdered children and surviving family members of homicide, I can tell you that the families that I've dealt with that have run into the issue of those who have murdered one of their loved ones, it is the most nauseating and disgusting feeling in the world when you find out the person who murdered one of your family members now has items being hawked by third parties for pure profit. It's like being gutted all over again by our criminal justice system. Now, I realize, I mean, there, there's a public fascination with, with serial killers, Absolutely. with prominent criminals, people like Whitey Bulger, but w- what's behind this, this murderabilia phenomenon? Why do people want to well, own this going, stuff? Going back, going back to what you you're first said, Rob, I mean, think about it. You have an entire entertainment industry that's generally surrounded by one word, that is murder. Look who your movies are made of. Look who your books are written about. When networks do bios, who do they do biographies of? They do them bios of serial killers, mass murderers, high pre. You ever seen them do a bio of a crime victim? You don't, you don't see it. Their victims are treated with what I call disinstitutionalized disinterest. And like it or not, you know, since the dawn of man, you know, people had a fascination with true crime. People have been collecting true crime memorabilia probably since the first caveman bopped somebody. Where we draw the line is where you're actually procuring items for the sole purpose of profiting from that. Right. I mean, you can think of an example where uh, a killer is is arrested uh, and, you know, like a gangster where they have assets, a house, a artwork, stuff like that. Maybe that can be auctioned off 
uh, if the money is going to go to support victims. I, I think the public could get behind that. I would agree. And that's, a, that's part of the movement that we've been trying to create is if there's any monies to be made out there, it should go where it's intended to go, and that is the victims. Victims are the ones who don't make anything out of anything. They're the only unwilling participants in the criminal justice system. We had a case down here of a, a, a local serial killer in Houston, actually all over the country, named Angel Resendez Ramirez, better known as the railway killer. And we actually intercepted correspondence between a dealer, one of the well-known dealers, and, and Ramirez. And the opening line in the letter, which I use in my testimony, because you can't make up material like this, told the dealer, let me know how much more hair can you use. Thank you for putting the money into my inmate trust fund. I will mail you three other packages that you can post up for sale. Jeez. Just that Charles Manson uh, die, of course, there was a, a fight between, I think, four different people were yeah, trying to claim his body, were, right? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I mean, even in death, Manson is looming larger than life. He was probably the biggest wheeler and dealer on the murder billion market. And you actually had manufactured items dedicated to Manson, which is a whole other issue in itself. You had Manson T-shirts, hats, clothing, socks, anything that you can imagine with Manson's name on it was being sold in clothing boutiques all over the country. <clears throat> so does it feel as though we're, we're going in the wrong direction, as you alluded to at the outset? We've got mainstream auction houses involved in selling this stuff now. We're, I mean, do, do, you, do you feel pessimistic? It's disturbing. It is. And I can tell you another disturbing venue that we found that we, for whatever reason, has refused to budge. And, of course, they're very prominent in the news right now, and that's Facebook. Several years ago, we discovered dealers had set up Facebook pages allowing the sale of selling murderabilia. And I finally was able to get in touch with their security or law enforcement protection team, which was an act of God trying to actually find them. And I sent them a display that was being sold of Jesus Christ nailed to the cross with several women simulating a, I'll leave it to your own imagination. And I thought immediately they would remove it for being in violation of their standards. After we went around for uh, weeks, and I also sent them two graphic crime scene photos of two women who were bludgeoned to death by a Kansas serial killer, and the crime scene photos were being sold on Facebook pages. They refused to budge, said it didn't violate their standards. I was absolutely dumbfounded. So in addition to dealers that have set up their own websites, Facebook also is a willing participant, in, and now we have a well-known, reputable auction site who apparently is now allowing murderabilia. They could have put a stop to this. They could have said, this doesn't meet our standards. We don't want to go in this direction, but they're willingly complicit in allowing the sale of one of the most notorious serial killers in this country's history. Yeah. So and shame it, on them. Shame on them. You, know, you spend a lot of time, you travel around the, the U.S. and elsewhere talking about this. Did you still have your, your duffel bag that you bring with you? I, I do. I actually, I was in Edmonton. Oh, is that right? In 2001, when I first started tracking this, and I, I put on a workshop there on murderabilia and brought in my... Uh, I had to uh, explain myself to customs several times what I was oh, doing man. with all the items. And actually, I was in Ottawa, I want to say three or four years ago, at the request of your Department of Justice, and I put on a, a workshop and a lecture about this issue. It was filmed by one of your local media, I believe Rogers Media, film my entire presentation and put it up there. But there are several Canadian serial killers 
that also have items forbidden. Like I told you earlier, there's a uh, murder billiard dealer that's based in your country as well. So it's not a, you know, it's not something that's singular to the United States. I've seen sellers all over the world that procure items and end up selling them for profit. eBay used to be the main main conduit, and after about a two-year battle, which I drug them through the mud, they finally had enough, and they actually sent out a news release stating they would no longer allow the sale of murderabilia out of respect for victims' families. So the dealers that primarily sold murderabilia simply set up shop on their own, and that's where we stand today. Well, very disturbing trend. Uh, Andy, appreciate the insights uh, and all the work you're doing on this. Thanks so much for joining us here today. Really appreciate it. You bet. It's time to put an end to all this. Thank you for having me. All right. Thanks again. Andy Kahn is a victim's advocate in the mayor's office uh, in Houston and with the Houston Police Department as well. Um, so, yeah, kind of a one-man crusade against this phenomenon of murderabilia. There's the latest example. I'm sure it won't be the last. Uh, by the way, we're continuing to follow this story. Uh, if you're in the community of Abbeydale, particularly if you are near the 100 block of Abingdon Way, police are asking you to shelter in place, to stay where you are, to stay in your home. Uh, a police officer has rushed to hospital with what we understand is multiple gunshot wounds. There's an active police investigation in the area. So be aware of that. We'll continue to follow this story through the afternoon and bring you details as they become available. 974-8255 is our number 974-TALK. We're back with more right after this. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.